Um, but from what my experience, there's just nothing like a, a Tom gobbling on an early morning and, and responding to your calls. It is, it is the most remarkable thing, remarkable sound there is. These animals that we hunt and that we love and that we find grandeur and beauty and, and, and satisfaction in, they don't appreciate existing. They just exist. But as being made in God's image, we can appreciate and value our, 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 our existence, which I think is really cool. What is up, guys? My name is Tyler Pruitt. I am the host and I am the founder of the show, The Rise Kelly Podcast. I first of all want to thank you guys for listening to the Rise Kelly Podcast today. Because if it weren't for you, the listeners, this platform wouldn't be able to exist. So thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Rise Kelly Podcast today. The Rise Kelly Podcast mission is to be a resource for people who love the pursuit of God, freedom, and the great outdoors. As part of the mission of this podcast, I want to be able to share the stories, the ideas, and the conversations around this idea of pursuing God, freedom, and the great outdoors. So I've been able to have great conversations with people like Travis T-Bone Turner here recently, Bud Fisher of Catching Deers, um, Adam Weatherby, and Jeff Danker. I've had all kinds of different conversations from people all across the country and really all across the world. So thank you guys for choosing to listen to the Rise Elite Podcast today where you get to participate and listen in on some of those conversations around those things. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I want to first of all thank you all for choosing to listen and I appreciate you taking a risk and listening to the Rise Elite Podcast today. I, I know you're going to enjoy today's conversation. If you are a return listener, then thank you for continuing to listen to the Rise Elite Podcast. If you guys haven't already, then go ahead and subscribe to the show today. That way you don't miss out on any of the future episodes of the show. I do have a few announcements before we get into my conversation with Pete. First of all, as of this week, the Rise Gilead podcast is officially on iHeartRadio. I know a lot of people like to listen to podcasts through that platform. So we now have that opportunity to be able to listen to the Rise Gilead podcast on iHeartRadio. So make sure that you guys share that information. Make sure you guys share those links, and that would be greatly appreciated. So up to this point, we've been primarily on a lot of the main podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, obviously, Google. Um, we're also on YouTube. You can listen to the episodes there. You can listen to the episodes on Facebook. But now we're, of course, on iHeartRadio. Also, if you guys haven't connected with me on social media, you can find me at the Instagram handle at RiceKillEat, all together, all lowercase. And you can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash rke a field all right so that's rke as in rice kill eat a field so make sure you connect with me on there now the rice kill eat podcast is listener supported so if you feel compelled to help support the rice kill eat podcast it would be greatly appreciated and you can find a link for that down in the show notes of this show all right so listener supported shows i mean it, it's exactly what it sounds like to produce an episode of a podcast, anybody that has ever podcasted before or if you've ever considered it, you know that it takes time, you know that it takes effort, and it takes sometimes a little bit of money. So, or any support that you guys feel compelled to give, then I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and head down to the details of this show and check out how you can support the Rice Kelly Podcast. All right, so today my guest is Pete Rogers. So Pete is an, a longtime outdoor writer, he's a photographer, a minister and the host of the Christian Outdoors podcast. I was recently given the opportunity to be a guest on his show, so I want to encourage you guys to go and check out my interview 
on Pete's show, and it was it was a really fun opportunity. So we just kind of did a little bit of a swap here, where I was on his show and he's on my show. So be sure to go check out his podcast show, the Christian Outdoors Podcast. So in today's episode, Pete shares his passion for hunting and the outdoors and what led him to merge these things, these passions with his faith. So make sure you guys go check that out. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into my conversation with Pete Rogers right here on the Rise Kill Eat podcast. Yeah, so that's kind of where, where I'm at as far as where I'm located in the state is, is right there on that, those, those foothills. Like you can literally see from my back porch, kind of right where the, the Appalachian mountains start over here in Kentucky. So. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to, uh, um, I was able to go with Patrick down to Alabama back in March and do a, and do a pig hunt with him. And that was really exciting. I've never done pigs with dogs. And although I love mm-hmm. to hunt pigs, I know people call them hogs, but for some reason, I can't stop calling them pigs, but this is something, <laughs> but, but I love to hunt pigs just about as much as like, I like to hunt anything. And he told me about that. And I was like, man, I got to go. And, uh, we had a good time down there. And I said, man, this, this Ironman outdoors is really a good program. And I'm, mm-hmm. I want to get involved in it a little bit more. And so, uh, I looked on their website and saw a, a deer hunt in Kentucky and uh, got a buddy of mine going with me. We're going to ride up there the second week of October. I think it's the 14th through the 19th so wednesday through monday um out there and i don't know if you follow them on instagram and facebook but they got some really nice bucks showing up on the cameras on that farm. oh yeah really yeah, they nice definitely bucks. do yeah, yeah i've called dibs year. but i don't know if i don't know if that's gonna work any good you know? <laughs> it's gonna be hard <laughs> to hold hold back on any of those bucks they got showing up they got some good ones showing up there <laughs> they do they do because i know down here in south carolina a uh, 120 inch deer is a true trophy um, I mean, we'll, you know, across the state, they'll get some bigger than that, but we just don't have big deer down here. And yeah. on the properties that I hunt, I've been hunting one of them since 2001. And we know that there's a, uh, there's just a genetic line that all the deer have short tines, you know, three inches, four inches. Mm-hmm. You can have a 10 point and the G2 will be three inches. And, and I mean, it's been that way for, for almost 20 years and it's, it's kind of frustrating, but at the same time, you know, you know, when you see something that's as big as you're going to get. So we go more by body age than we do by antlers anymore. And just, if he looks like he's mature deer and he puts a smile on your face and take him. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is it, I mean, you know, you, we were just sitting here talking about Kentucky, how, you know, we can not easily, but we can see, you know, 160, 170 inch deer on occasion and have mm-hmm. some nice deer. So how does that, you know, kind of experience change for you down there in South Carolina where, you may not necessarily have the same kind of antler growth, but as far as body size goes, you know, you may, you may see something that's a little bit, you know, a little bit more consistent. Well, yeah. Um, it's like I said, I've been hunting the same property for a long time. And so we, we, uh, we kind of know what to expect, you know, as far as the bucks go every now and then during the rut, uh, uh, you know, a rogue will show up. That's, that's a little bit better than normal on the cameras and stuff. And, and, uh, my brother-in-law a few years ago killed a six and a half year old, and he was a nine point and the, in the longest time was four inches and, yeah. and he weighed 170 pounds. That's guts and all. And, and, and so that's about as big as they get every now and then you'll get a 200 pounder. I've mm-hmm. killed a few, uh, down there in, in, in the time that I've hunted and I've killed a few 10 points and some, and some really nice nine points for, for down there. Um, but, 
body size, the does will go 100 pounds and the bucks will go uh, 145 is my average on that property, um, you know, as far as average. And I think the biggest over there was like 190. And that was, uh, you know, that was a very old, very, you know, um, mature deer. And, and I'm thinking he was actually living on the ag a couple miles away where there's tons of corn and was and just roaming through on the on the rut and i was able to take them but um we don't have big deer body or or antlers so if you want to get big ones you got to go somewhere else typically <laughs> yeah yeah but, but still though going back to what you were saying before if it puts a smile on your face and it gets you out into the outdoors and gets you out hunting i mean it's, you can't really beat that it's if, if the opportunity is there then absolutely take absolutely take absolutely. advantage and, of it and that's why you know and that's where when i have guests over uh Tyler, they'll say, well, what can I take? And I say, anything that makes you happy. I mean, yeah. if, cause that's for me, that's what, you know, uh, I've been hunting, this will be my 42nd year. And so I've kind of progressed through the different stages of hunting, you know, where you just want to kill, kill, kill just to get some blood, you know, some, uh, uh um, success. And yeah. then there, and then there's stages where you want to try different challenges and, and all this and i like to hunt with every weapon that's this legal i enjoy all of it yeah but uh at this point it's like i was telling uh um, a buddy who was down there this past weekend we spent four days down there last weekend finishing up all the prep work and i said you know if i have to think about it then i don't shoot them um it's just a it's almost an instantaneous thing when i see him it's oh that's a nice buck then i don't feel the least bit remorse or, you know, I'm excited whenever I'm able to take them. And the same thing with those. If it's a mature doe and she gives me a chance and and I got either a pistol or a bow in my hand, I'm going to take her or or a rifle. You know, I like it all. And um, uh, I have people on my podcast have heard me say many times how much I enjoy pistol hunting. I got into that several years ago and, and I really, really enjoy pistol hunting. And I've kind of started from zero of ratcheting up you know take something yeah. first get some success and then kind of move up the ladder with being a little bit more selective but um i think i'm like a lot of people is that when it comes to just getting meat if it's a smaller buck i'd rather shoot a doe because we got plenty of them um yeah and that's the advantage we have so many does that that uh you know i have six doe tags for this one piece of property and three buck tags uh, and so I can take six does and you won't even notice it on the population. It's just crazy. That's, that's crazy. So you mentioned pistol hunting. So how does that mm -hmm. kind of work? And what, what kind of caliber, uh, pistol do you use? I mean, do you use like a scope setup? I, I've seen a few guys do it before and never really had the opportunity to, to ask about it. So I'm gonna ask you, okay, <laughs> so how does sure. that, how's that kind of work sure. for you as far as the, the pistol hunting goes? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's the way I describe it in in my writings and when talking to people is it's it's exactly like bow hunting but a lot louder. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by that is is it is it's close, you know. Um, for me, uh, I like to keep my my stands or if I'm going to pistol hunt sixty yards and in, I don't hunt where I can see far. I hunt the same stands I hunt when I bow hunt, um, as opposed to my big open clear cuts and big fields when I'm rifle hunting. I'll I'll hunt the thicker woods. I'll hunt the trails, the rub lines, things like that. Um, and I have several. Uh, I like revolvers personally. Um, it's just kind of a, a personal thing. Um, and the 44 Magnum is my go-to caliber. Um, I've tested a lot through the years. I think I'm in my like my 15th year using a pistol or so. And yes, I do use optics. Um, I'm 
56 years old and my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. But more than that, <laughs> if I'm in the woods, I can't really see the sights very well on open sights of any gun. Yeah. You know, because typically on a pistol, they're not uh, they're not illuminated like a true glow, and you can put true glow uh, uh, sights on them. But uh, I like I like scopes. I have scopes on some of them, and then I have actually red dots. I'm moving more to a red dot, um, and and that's because uh, again, in the here in the south, our leaves don't drop to about Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. so. It's, it can be dark in the woods at that early morning and, and late afternoon when the deer are moving. And, and, and I'm attributing to my age, Tyler, is that as I get older, it's harder to see those crosshairs. For some reason, scope manufacturers, when they make handgun scopes, they make the very fine-haired crosshairs instead of the, right. the duplex kind, you know. And, it's yeah. written, and I find them hard to see, you know. And so I've gone to red dots uh, that I use, and, and I, I really like to – the true glow micro dot is very lightweight. It's very small, easy to zero. And, uh, and, it, and you can adjust the brightness on the dot so that it doesn't starburst, you know, it's just a very fine dot. And, uh, um, I really like that. So I, I, I've I like the 44 Magnum revolvers and, uh, with the red dot on it is what I, is what I choose the most. And, and since Hornady came out with that, uh, bullet that I can't pronounce lever revolution. You know what I'm talking about? I think I've it's heard a, it before. Yeah. It's a, it's a 44 Magnum with a ballistic tip on it. Okay. So, so that you can, uh, uh, and it is so accurate, man, it's 225 grain and it is so accurate out of those pistols. And, uh, and most of my pistols have seven or eight inch barrels on them. Like mm-hmm. I really like the Taurus raging hunter. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorites and, uh, it's a really great, really great pistol. It's accurate. Um, handles really well. It's balanced. Well, uh, I really like it a lot. And, uh, when you put those Hornady lever Lucian, again, I can't pronounce it, um, <laughs> bullets in it. Uh, it is, it is, you know, I, I feel very comfortable. I've taken pigs out to 80 yards with it. Uh, with a neck shot and, uh, um, and I'm very comfortable. I've taken deer, you know, most of my deer shots are like bow hunting. They're 30 yards and in cause I'm hunting tight, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I really enjoy the pistol hunting cause you have to focus on, on, on uh trigger squeeze, what I call shot execution. You know, when you're bow hunting, you have to really focus on not just aiming, but shot execution, not, yeah. not flinching or, you know, what, what do they call that target panic and squeezing your release yeah, squeezing of punching it, yeah. it following through with your with your bow hands so you're not dropping it or raising it or anything and it's the same thing i find with the pistol is you have to really concentrate on shot execution and to make an accurate shot and that's what i like about it i like that that added challenge of having to really focus on on the shot execution you know yeah yeah definitely that's i've always seen uh, a few guys do that before and i've always thought it was really cool just to be able to go out and take like a higher caliber pistol out and higher caliber handgun and go out and be able to take a deer be able to take a hog or whatever it is and yeah be able to do that and it just seems like the the pack in and the pack out with the with the firearm is probably way easier because you don't have to worry about you know of course carrying in a rifle (laughs) it is it is it is and on those big guns they make uh they make special holsters that sit on your chest 
yeah. uh, right in the center of your chest. And so it's, and so it's balanced. And, uh, I think they call it a bandolier holster. And so it's balanced and it's, it's right there. It's out of your way. You got both arms, you know? And so it's, a uh, um, it's really fun. What I like to do is, uh, if you got a little light drizzle and it's a little bit chilly to do some, mm-hmm. some still hunting with the pistol. Cause you can oh, move yeah. real slow and, 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 and quiet. And you can leave the pistol in your in your bandolier holster the whole time that you're moving until you see something. Then you can get it out and and take your shot, which is really fun. Yeah, that's one of the tricky things about still hunting is you know trying to keep track of your weapon without it bumping up against something, especially you know with a bow or or whatever. You know, if it yes. is raining, you know, trying to keep it dry and everything that that can be a little bit tricky. And that, I can see how the maneuverability of a handgun would be, you know, of course, uh, and obviously obviously an advantage so that that's that's pretty neat it is it is i i do want to say this to anybody that's listening about it though is is it takes a lot of practice to be able to shoot a big bore handgun accurately uh, enough that you want to take an animal with it um and so uh i started with my buck mark 22 shooting squirrels that's Mm -hmm. how i started handgun hunting Uh, it's a it's a really accurate uh, semi-automatic pistol. So I started shooting squirrels with it. And then I just, I said, man, this is fun. So then I ran, I ramped up and got me the 44 Magnum after a lot of research, but there's other good calibers, uh, for anybody that's really interested, uh, anything over 357 is, uh, is suitable. 357 is pretty small for a deer, but, but, uh, but it is capable of it with, with well-placed shot. I would recommend any 40 caliber, 41 Magnum, uh, the 41 Remington Magnum, the 44 Remington Magnum, or even I got a, a 454 Casol this year in the uh, Taurus Raging Hunter, and I'm really excited to try it. It's a, it's, it's the bullet's as big as your thumb, man. You know, it's a, it's a wallop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited well, to shoot man. it. I've shot it a lot to get ready for season, and uh, and and that's what I'm going to hunt with. As soon as gun season comes in, I'm going to take that 454 Casol in the Taurus Raging Hunter and see what I can do with it. So. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, definitely going to look into that. I know here in Kentucky, as far as I know, I'd have to look at the rules again, but uh, we're not able. It's not legal in Kentucky to use a handgun at the time, but I've seen some some folks do that and it's been pretty. Oh, cool. really? So, yeah. So huh. what kind of things are you doing right now to kind of get prepared for the upcoming hunting season? We were talking a little bit before we pushed record, but, you know, hunting season's right around the corner. So what are some things that right now that you, you are kind of working on, on as far as the preparation side goes? Well, on the preparation side, I, I had to do a lot of, a lot of mowing this past weekend. Um, um, at, like you said, before we pushed record and started our, our bow season is already open in some parts of the state and, and, uh, gun season opens September one, but it's a little bit too hot for me to hunt right now. So, uh, and I had some other things going on, had some timbering being done on our property. So I had to wait for them to finish before I could go in there and do what I needed to do. But, um, we have, uh, uh, a piece of property that has, uh, what we call rifle areas and bow areas. And so in my rifle areas, I had to go and, and mow the lanes cause we get lots of dog fennel. Do y'all have that up there? Lots of dog fennel that grows. Yeah, we got and, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it'll get seven, eight feet tall. And yeah. so I wait till right before, you know, usually July, the end of July, early August. But again, I had to wait for the timber guys to get out but uh and, and then i'll go in there and mow that stuff down so that we can see and uh, uh on some of our rifle lanes where we have uh, some pretty long shots um and 
so I do that. And then in another area where we had some clear cutting done back in 2014, I think we had 30 something acres cut, but I only replanted 20 acres. So that left me 10 acres to play with. And Tyler, what I decided to do after talking with the QDMA and, and the Turkey Federation both is instead of planting it into a food plot, I decided to go with native warm season grasses and mm -hmm. kind of leave it kind of a CRP type thing here in the South. And I had no idea there was quite as much maintenance in that. I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be the cheaper <laughs> way to go, but I was so wrong in that. <laughs> um, because we get volunteer trees like crazy, especially pine saplings and sweet gums and, uh, and a few, um, oh, hollies. And, and so we have to, at least every other year, mow the entire thing with a big brush hog to, to keep those saplings at bay in order for the grasses to be able to, to do what they're supposed to do. And now when I say grasses, that includes briars and honeysuckles and green briar oh, yeah. and, you know, blue stem, uh, broom sage and, and, uh, and, and all those things that, that are just naturally there. And so I've been seeing since, again, we did this in 2014. So it's been six, this will be my sixth season is that it's really thick now and the deer absolutely love it. I mean, it is crazy how many deer will walk through this area where the grass is, uh, I'd say to the belly high to the deer, maybe just a shade higher than that. Yeah. It, it's almost like they feel like they're, that they're hidden in yeah. that grass and they, they just walk right through it just like it's nothing. Whereas a, you know, a, a manicured field, they're a little bit more hesitant to step out in, you know? So, right. Um, so what you I see that a lot with like soybeans and stuff too. I, I hunt primarily this time of year. I hunt primarily like over, over soybeans. Yes. So like yes. whenever they're about shoulder high on the deer, like you can see, you can, you know, you know, a lot of times they'll bed down in the beans and right. you'll stay, all you can see is kind of their head and their, their back, their spine yep. kind of yep. moving across. But yeah, it's just, I guess it just gives them a certain level of comfort and while also offering them a opportunity to, to eat. It does. And then when you, when you're fortunate enough to take one, you better mark where you fail. Because yeah. I mean, you can walk right by him and not see him, can't you? Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You really can. But so, so that's what I've been doing is, uh, I move some stands every year, even though we've been on the same property for a long time. Some stands haven't moved in 15 years, but other ones, you know, um, as the topography changes again with some logging things and some, and some things of that nature, the deer movement patterns change. And so for my bow stands, um, uh, I shoot compound and long bow. I, mm -hmm. Like I said, I like to do it all. And so, yeah. and so I, I set my stands up close just in case I decide to take my long bow. I can get that 15 yard shot or that 10 yard shot. I don't have to take a 35 yard shot or anything. Um, and so I moved some stands around to some new areas and, and, uh, got those situated and, uh, um, found some persimmon trees, that were loaded with persimmons. And so I, um, um, put some stands up close to that and put some cameras on it. I'm, I'm really excited about that. If, if you're in other parts of the country and not familiar with persimmon, it is a deer magnet in September. Yeah. I mean, oh. a magnet. A lot of the deer attractants, like the artificial and natural stuff, they will be that they'll have that persimmon scent and right. kind of thrown into it. You'll see like apple and all kinds of stuff, but I've seen a lot of persimmon, you know, flavored uh, and scented yes. type thing too. It is amazing when you see a persimmon tree, the deer that will just 
I mean, it it really is. And and the thing is, is a tree that's loaded may, uh, it may only have a couple hundred persimmons on it, you know. But every yeah. deer anywhere around knows where that tree is, and they will come check it every day, waiting for them things to fall. And it seems that right around the middle of September is when the persimmons will turn orange, and they'll start to drop. And, uh, and I mean, the, the ground is just beat down all around those trees. So I set a stand up about 15 yards away from one of them and, uh, got me good access to it. So I don't spook anything out and, uh, but it'll be afternoon only cause I figure they'll be in there at night. Mm-hmm. So I won't be able to get in there in the mornings, but, uh, but still, so, so that's the kind of things I've been doing lately besides yeah, practicing a lot, been shooting my bow every day, uh, when the weather right. allows yeah definitely definitely that's that's a huge part of it too is that that practice and i went over uh this past weekend to a buddy of mine's house and we were kind of shooting around a little bit and you know i'd gone a few days without shooting and i usually don't do that this time of year it's usually pretty consistent every every other day or so i'll try to get out and you know throw some arrows at the target but i could really tell just in a matter of just a few days how how i guess lacking in confidence I was just because of mm-hmm. you know going that just that little bit of time without shooting so I've had to really amp it up here lately because like I said we have our 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 season here in Kentucky is going to be starting here in about a week and a half which by right. the time this episode posts it's going to already be started but it's going to be you know it's one of those things that the clock's ticking so you got time to get out and start doing some practice because if an opportunity comes you don't want to be lacking that confidence that I felt you know even just in practice so it's, absolutely it's a matter of absolutely. you know making sure you're preparing mentally you know of course preparing where you're going to be hunting and everything and making sure that you're prepared and ready to go for for hopefully an opportunity at a at an animal that's right that's right and and it's and it's keeping those muscles in shape too yeah i mean it's surprising that if you go out and only shoot a little bit and then you get to your stand and you know opening day and a deer comes out and you have to draw and you have to hold it for 45 seconds or a minute yeah that's a long time you know, with the bow. Yeah. It's a really long time. And if you haven't built those muscles up, you're going to be in bad shape. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> certainly. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so, where does your, uh, where's your kind of your journey in the outdoors? Where does it begin for you? And I know you've got a little bit, a little bit of experience in ministry as well, probably a lot of experience in ministry as well. But where does that kind of, uh, where do those two worlds kind of mesh together and where do those journeys start for you? Well, it's a, um, is this a four hour podcast or what? (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting journey. And, um, but my dad was not a hunter at all. He loved to play golf. And so, um, we, we lived out, uh, we moved in, in all over the place. And when I, when I was a child, we lived in every state of the South by the time I was about 12 years old, but we settled in a small town in South Carolina called Saluda, South Carolina. And, And we lived 12 miles out of town and way out in the country and I just was bored and uh so I just started just going through the farmer's field out into the woods and I just got captivated by what I was seeing out there and and by the by the animals and by the sounds and stuff and I just I just started uh reading everything I could read and I would go to school and get every book on Daniel Boone and David Craig because I didn't know where to start Tyler I didn't I didn't have a mentor I didn't have anything like that and and uh um and I subscribed to Outdoor Life magazine. And and while I was subscribing to Outdoor Life magazine, this is really going to date me now. They used to have the Outdoor Life book club. 
and you would actually mail in a dollar bill to the Outdoor Life Book Club, and they would send you 10 books for a dollar. You just had to buy two books at full retail price within a year. Mm-hmm. Well, even as a 13-year-old, I knew that was a good deal. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I took my little dollar that I made from picking up bottles on the side of the road back then and selling them for a nickel apiece and mailed it in. And I got 10 books in and, and, uh, they were hunting the whitetail deer, small game hunting, the outdoor eye teaching you how to spot wildlife, um, building your own fishing rods, building fishing lures, um, uh, tracks, animal tracks, tracking and finding game. There was, there was 10 books. And I'm telling you what, I read those things and read them. I would literally take them into the field with me and read and do what it said and, mm-hmm. and try what it said. And, and I didn't even have a gun. Okay. But I remember telling my parents that I wanted a 22 rifle for my 14th birthday. And they got me a 22 rifle from Sears and Roebuck is the Ted Williams version. And I still have it obviously. And I started, it had a scope on it too. And I just thought I was in high cotton, buddy, because I had a, <laughs> I had a semi-automatic that shot long rifle longs and shorts with a, with a scope on it. Uh, and it was just a fixed four power. And I started without any knowledge, just going out into the woods. No one taught me gun safety. I, can you believe that? No one taught me gun safety. No one taught me anything. I just started doing it on my own. And, mm-hmm. and I was just totally captivated by it. And I killed a squirrel. And skinned it, still have the skin. All the hair's fallen off now. That's been forty something years ago. But uh, and and then I killed another one. And since that's the only gun I had, that's what I did until I was twenty three. Yeah. So for the first ten years, all I did was squirrel hunt. That's the only thing I could do. And I got a hold of a Ben Pearson bow, um, fifty pound draw. Has the brackets to hold the little wheels on it. You know, the little one inch, one and a quarter inch diameter oh, yeah. wheels. Yep. And, uh, and it had cables like made out of steel cables, you know, and <laughs> I got some game getter arrows from the local Kmart at the time and some, uh, Zwicky broadheads. And I didn't even have a deer stand. I was sitting on a five gallon bucket and just walking through the woods, looking for sign that I was learning from these books. And, uh, it, I, I hunted for years before I ever saw a deer. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. And That's good. I bought, you kept going. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was either hard headed or stubborn. My wife would say I'm stubborn. I like to say I'm determined. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a matter persistent. of words. That's right. That's right. So long story short, I killed my first deer with that bow as a little three point, but I was, I was tickled to death. And from that point on, I was hooked with uh with the bigger game hunting and and so my first deer was killed with that ben pearson bow i still have that bow and and so i have not missed a year killing a deer since then mm-hmm. uh, it took me a while to get it figured out and uh this shows uh how elementary i was back in the day was you know this was before internet or anything and i would actually take a notebook paper and draw a map of the area and i would draw the trails through it and i'd put x's where i found rubs and or actually an r where i found a rub and an s where i found a scrape and i learned by doing just by drawing it out i learned that you know these rub lines tend to the deer tend to walk these rub lines and yeah the scrapes are over here and and you know and i started putting it all together myself and then reading 
reading, reading, reading. And uh, um, Pat Robertson and Terry Madewell and Jim Cassida, all from South Carolina by, by chance, and uh, Robert Rourke, and um, if that's how you pronounce it, and Jack O'Connor. On the sidebar, the two books that I had to buy when I was in Outdoor Life Book Club, I didn't know what I was buying, Tyler. I mm-hmm. bought Jack O'Connor's shotgun book. Who knew that'd be a collector's item at now? Right. <laughs> and I bought um, uh, Pat McNally's fly fishing book. Both mm-hmm. of them are collector's pieces. I had no idea what I was buying at the time. I just had to buy a book, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and there's, and I still have those too. So, so that's kind of my foray into the hunting world. And, uh, and I, it, I have been bitten by the bug hard and uh, it has become such a part of me that as i explained to my wife hunting is not a hobby for me it's something i must do it's when i feel the most alive is when i'm hunting and um and i don't care what it is you know if you've you know which i'm sure we'll get to in a minute about my writing but i've i've written before about i don't understand single species people who only hunt ducks (laughs) or Mm -hmm. who or who only hunt deer god you're missing so much yeah by by doing that you know there's it's it's a completely different game walking a, a cut cornfield waiting for pheasants to jump than it is sitting in a deer stand in the southeast it's it's a completely different thrill completely different uh experience and i don't want to miss any of it yeah you know Definitely. I think a lot of those people that they, you know, they claim to have be just a deer hunter or they claim to claim to be just a duck hunter. I think a lot of it, you know, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it, I think comes down to just an inexperience with the other species. Cause I know mm. for me, whenever I was first getting into it, like my dad, he, he took me out as a teenager, you know, just deer hunting. We didn't mm-hmm. really do a whole lot of other types of hunting. And I, I think a lot of it was just because you know, dad didn't really know how. So therefore I'd never learned. So once I moved here to Moorhead, like we were talking about earlier, um, a buddy of mine, he kind of started taking me out and, you know, took me on my first dove hunt, turkey hunt, Mm -hmm. duck hunt. And, you know, from there, my species of what I want to hunt, it really started to branch out. Now, I I mean, it's a, it's a year round deal. Like, I mean, you know, you were kind of mentioned how, um, uh, your, your wife is, you know, not really understanding it or whatever. But for me too, I, like, I feel the same thing is that like whenever I'm hunting, like, that's when I'm most alive. Like we were right at the beginning of all this COVID stuff, you know, I was getting, you know, some cabin fever just like everybody else, I'm sure. But <laughs> I was getting some cabin fever. So we just had to get out and do some turkey scouting like, mm-hmm. as a family just to get out. And mm-hmm. I think my wife, she could literally probably see the look on my face like as we were out in the woods walking around how I just lightened up and how I just felt alive. And she even right. looked over at me and said, like, you feel, you feel so much better now, don't you? I was like, yes, I can yes. I feel way better now. Like we've gotten out, gotten some fresh air, heard the yes. birds chirp, you know, got out of the house and just, it's just a whole different experience. And I think that's something that God has put into our DNA, you know, as our creator to get out and enjoy his creation Absolutely. and be able to see him in his creation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you said, I mean, you just took the words out of my mouth is that when I'm out there, I experience God in such a personal and profound way. Yeah. And in a way that, that, you know, being made in God's image is very humbling to me. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I never lose sight. And I preach to my kids all the time. You are an image bearer. Act like one. Yeah. 
Everywhere you go, you carry the image of God. You have God's thumbprint, and he made you like you for a reason. I'm going to paraphrase Paul here from, uh, I believe it's Acts 17. Please, I'm sure I'm wrong in that, but I think that's where it is. When he says that, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing, is that God made you at this time and in this place for a reason. He put you right here, right now in, in, in 2020 in this place for a reason. And, and it's my job to embrace that and to make the most of it. And one of the ways that I do that is by getting out into nature and, and experiencing God in his creation and, and, and appreciating him as a creator. Right. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Absolutely. It does. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to, you know, Romans one twenty, which is just where, let me actually get it pulled up here real quick. But basically it's that we are like without excuse, like we have an opportunity to, to know God because of his creation. Like we are mm-hmm. in his creation. We can see him. One, I don't look it up. I just, I just, uh, paraphrase <laughs> it really it, huh? bad yeah. is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And I think that's exactly what, you know, what it comes down to is that, you know, we don't have an excuse not to know God, because if you walk outside, look out the window, look at yourself in the mirror, like you don't have an excuse right. to, to right. not, you know, other than just pure selfish sinful nature right other than that like you have no excuse not to not to pursue god and you know go after you, god and, and know him more did you notice what paul said there though is that is that we have the again i'm paraphrasing because i'm trying to remember just how you read it with from the version is that we have the ability to appreciate creation yeah um, um those deer that walk out in front they don't marvel at the sunrise like we do right right those ducks that are flying through the timber they're not they're just trying to get on the water Right. They're not, you know, they're not <laughs> trying seeing... not to get shot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if I'm there, they got a good chance of that. So, <laughs> but I enjoy trying, I enjoy trying. Um, but, but we have the ability because we're made in his image to appreciate what he's done, not just exist. These animals that we hunt and that we love and that we find grandeur and beauty and, and, and satisfaction in, they don't appreciate existing. They just exist. Yeah. But as being made in God's image, we can appreciate and value our 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 existence, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. There's a certain level of consciousness that, you know, a lot of these scientists that like to deny God and they try to find every excuse, you know, that God doesn't exist. That's a question that they really have a hard time answering is the the this consciousness that humans have and it's something that is you know solely present in humans right you don't see the you don't see deer you don't see i mean even elephants and giraffes and you know animals from all over the world they don't have this level of of consciousness that we have and and it's exactly what you were just saying it's just that that image of god that is in us that right is just it's just the outward um i guess expression of that image of God that we have is, is a, is that opportunity to know him because of our consciousness and be able to know mm-hmm. him because of, uh, you know, being a, that level of appreciation that we have in seeing him in creation. Right. Right. Totally. So totally. absolutely, yeah. man. So, yeah. so as far as your, uh, your writing goes, we, we kind of mentioned it there a minute ago. So 
how much of an influence did your your reading you know growing up reading outdoors books and everything how much of that influenced your desire to get into outdoors writing and to be you know somebody who who wants to pursue that and write books and be somebody who wants to take words and put them on paper for other people to to enjoy them well you know tyler it's it's one of those things i didn't really realize that connection that you made until probably 10 years into it which is really weird and i'll 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 get to that in just a second but i've always loved to write and to express myself through the written word and and i would go on trips and and uh, I, I say trips it may just be right down behind the house you know but i would come back and i would relive it by writing it on the computer or by hand back in the day and uh it's just something that i did and with never any intent to to share it or much less have it published well uh, to speed the story up here real quick was I, I was, uh, if you remember the North American hunting club, you remember that yeah. organization? Yeah. Yep. Well, they I was a, a member fishing club too, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was a member of that way back when, and they had this program in there, they called swap hunts. I don't know if you remember that where it, it would be like here, you are in Kentucky, me in South Carolina. And I'd say, uh, Hey, I got a deer hunt in South Carolina. And you'd say, well, I've never hunted there. I want to go hunt with Pete. So I would yeah. host you. You'd come down here and hunt with me for free. And then in turn, you would host me up there to hunt with you and yeah. you could do the same species or different species. Well, I got a chance to go to Alaska and hunt moose through that organization. And, uh, it was life changing, uh, three weeks in Alaska, you know, 10 miles or what was, how far were we? Five hours from the, when we left the road, we drove in five hours on machines to get to mm -hmm. the camp. And, and I was fortunate enough to take a moose and, and met some wonderful people who became lifelong friends. And, and when I got back, I wrote a story about it and, uh, and I wrote a sermon on it. And, and so, um, I sent the story that I wrote to the, to the men that were in camp with me. And one of them, Walter was his name and he's deceased now, but he became probably the closest friend I'll ever have. He kept, and he said, Pete, you have a way with words, man. You really need to do something with this. And I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. You're just my friend. You're just saying that. He <laughs> said, no, really, you need to do something with this. So I started just thinking about it. And this was way back in the, in the nineties. And so before internet, well, internet was just in its infancy, but before email, as far as the uh, magazine publishing world came about. So the way I would literally. It shows my uh, my college training. Go to Books a Million with a legal pad, and I would write bibliographies of the hunting magazines that I wanted to send stories to. Yeah, I mean that's old school right there. And <laughs> and I'd come back and I would type out on my typewriter. I would type out a letter and and I'd write my story and I'd put it in a self addressed stamped envelope and send it to them. And you'd have to wait six eight weeks to get a reply, and they'd say no. And I but going back to the persistence, I was mm -hmm. like, you know, so I, I'd shared the story with some people I said, man, that's a good story, Pete. You really need to keep, stay at it, stay at it, stay at it. So, and I remember this from seminary, Tyler, where, um, a professor said that you, that you're going to be ridiculed so much in ministry that whenever you get something positive, save it, create a yes file. He called it a yes file because mm -hmm. it's going to be, Preachers are under the microscope so much, yeah. you know, and so when you get something that's positive, save it because when you're feeling down, you're going to need to go to that. Well, I, I did, I did that and I, and I still do that, but I also have a rejection file of all the rejection letters I got from all the magazines. 
And then finally, I got a yes from the Rough Grouse Society. It was my first publication. Yeah. And it was a story about hunting woodcock, actually. And um, it sold, and I was just tickled to death. That was in 1999. And then I started selling some stories to our South Carolina Wildlife, our DNR publication. Started selling some stories to them, and it just started gr- growing slowly, kind of like a podcast does. Yeah. <laughs> started growing slowly. And uh, like a lot of things, I I met some people. I actually met some of my writing heroes. I joined the South Carolina Outdoor Press Association, and I met Terry Madewell and Pat Robertson and Jim Cassidy and Jim Mize and, and people that I have looked up to and read my entire life. And these gentlemen who were 30 years older than me, they, they are the most unassuming, no ego people that you'll ever meet. And they're like, anything we can do to help you. And they just took me under their wing and just said, here, all right, Pete, do this, do that. And, and just little things here and there. And before you knew it, you know, in, in 2018, I sold 136 stories that year. Um, yeah. and in 2019, I sold not, not quite that many, but almost. And, uh, um, and, and so through, through attrition and time and stuff, you, you start to build relationships, you start to meet people and you start to expand and, and so forth. So that's how I got into the writing. And to your question about the other part, when I met Terry and Terry made one, Pat Robinson and Jim Cassidy, I had a chance to tell them how their writing influenced me and to say, Terry, I would, I would take your, your story on hunting early season whitetails. I would take the magazine to the woods with me and I'm reading it and, and, and doing exactly what you said. And he's like, Oh my gosh, really? I was like, yeah. So, so my, my lack of success is attributed directly to you, buddy. (laughs) Thanks for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it kind of hit me in those conversations that if they had that kind of influence on me, what kind of influence am I having? Excuse excuse me. Or what kind of influence can I have? And so it really changed the way I approached writing to thinking more about the undereducated outdoorsman, not the experienced outdoorsman, but the novice Mm -hmm. and the one who wants to learn and really doesn't know where to begin. The, the kid like me, whose dad didn't hunt and, and I didn't, both my grandfathers just were deceased when I was very young. So I didn't have a mentor at all. So I started thinking more about that person. And it reminded me of my preaching class in seminary when the professor said, the first thing you must do is consider your audience. Yeah. And before I was considering my audience being the editor, make the editor happy. And you still got to do that. But now you know, probably 15 years ago, 12 years ago or so, I started thinking more about the reader as opposed to the editor and, and, and tailoring my writing more to that. And, and, uh, and that's when I started writing books as opposed to just magazine articles and web articles. I started writing books like the outdoor life books that meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. I started putting books together to try to help people that want to get into the sport and want to experience the outdoors and try to make it in a way to, so that they can benefit from it and, and so forth. So mm-hmm. as a long yeah. story, I'm sorry. 
no no that was perfect no that that level of persistence you know that personal level of persistence is a huge deal that a whole lot of people lack like if if something doesn't go right you know the first couple of times that they try it then i mean it's very easily it's very easy to be discouraged you know and be like you know maybe this isn't cut out for me but right. there's there's a certain population I'm, i know you're in that population but there's a certain population of people that just they're they're amount of drive and the amount of persistence and amount of uh, self-confidence amount of patience that they have in themselves it's, it's you know it's it's above average and in order for anybody to be successful i mean pretty much any successful person that you know whether it be a celebrity athlete you know writers uh hunters i mean whoever it may be they have these stories of you know personal persistence that they had to overcome a lot of a lot of the same kind of thing that you were uh, mentioning there and and who knows like once once you kind of come out of that and you start having some some success you have the potential to be a blessing to somebody else you know whether it be in writing where you're considering the reader and you're giving them information that they otherwise wouldn't have or you're you know a podcast host or you're mm -hmm. you know a, a pastor or you know you have an opportunity to get through that that uh i guess that that level of self-doubt and be able to push through that and be able to to potentially be a blessing to somebody else that way you know you can share this gift that god has given you to other people well well thank you for that i really appreciate you saying that um i for for me the hardest thing to overcome is because is being vulnerable and yep. i don't know that i'm rare in that I, I i think a lot of men are 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 that way it's mm -hmm. it's very hard to expose yourself in your areas of your weaknesses and to be vulnerable but yet i find it very therapeutic in my writing to be able to do that to talk about my failures you know uh, if you read any of my turkey hunting stuff you're going to see that I don't kill near as many turkeys as I wish I could <laughs> or that I talk you. to or that I call in and, and yeah. uh, you know, I had one this year that gobbled probably 200 times at 60 yards and I couldn't make him move at all. Mm -hmm. It was, I tried, I tried scratch box, wing bone, three different box calls, five different strikers on four different slates. And that son of a gun gobbled everything I did. He would not move. And <laughs> it was still a wonderful experience yeah you know yeah i had a very similar experience i had one that gobbled at about 70 yards for about three hours just sitting yeah. there and <clears throat> as soon as there was another tom that was over the ridge and as soon as he gobbled he took off towards him and that was the end of the story but yeah, yeah it was a uh, it was but you know regardless though it was an incredible experience just like you were saying uh, because it was a great learning experience i was able to sit there and watch him for literally two and a half, three hours, yep. just, you know, strutting back and forth. And he was just kind of just doing what turkeys do. And I yeah. was able to sit there and just kind of watch him, you know, observe his behavior. And it was, it was a great learning experience. There's few things more majestic than a strutting Tom who's mm -hmm. answering your call, you know, yeah. who's gobbling and, and, and responding is, is, uh, um, I haven't experienced the, the goose hunts in the fields or the sandhill cranes and that when, when, uh, when people can call, I can't call geese at all. I couldn't call an electronic <laughs> call. I'm telling you, I, I can't not, <laughs> I have thrown away so many goose calls trying to learn to blow those things, but, uh, but I've seen people do it, but I haven't had a chance to uh, hunt with really mm -hmm. good callers, but, uh, 
Um, but from what my experience, there's just nothing like a, a time gobbling on an early morning and, and responding to your calls. It is, it is the most remarkable thing, a remarkable sound there is. Oh yeah, absolutely. It definitely isn't. Just go back to what you were saying before your, uh, about being vulnerable. I think, you know, for anybody who's creating any kind of content, whether it be a book or whether it be writing, whether it be a podcast or anything like that, there's a certain level of vulnerability that mm-hmm. I think you, you hit the nail on the head where, you know, especially men, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to show our, our weak sides. I guess we, you know, we have this, I guess it's a societal, maybe it's something that's natural that, but it's just something that we don't, we don't want to show that we want to be, you know, of course, viewed as strong viewed as somebody to look up to in, in times of hard times. But in reality, I mean, we're people. I mean, that's, that's right. That's, and we're, we're just as broken as anybody else is. So that whole level of vulnerability is something that, you know, men struggle with and especially, you know, the outdoorsmen, the, the, the ones mm-hmm. who kind of view themselves as, as tough guys, as, as guys who can go out and, you know, shoot a buck and, you know, go out and fish, catch fish, catch dinner and that kind of thing. There's, yeah. there's a certain, I guess, a, a, I don't know, maybe an image around an outdoorsman that, that makes it difficult to, to reach with the gospel or to reach with ministry. So what are some ways that, you know, being somebody who is in ministry and being, of course, somebody who is an outdoorsman, what are some ways that, that in your experience, you've been able to, to reach men and women with, you know, with the gospel that are interested in, in the outdoors? That's a really good question, and I appreciate you asking. It really is, because that's kind of the catalyst behind why I started my podcast and and, and some of the speaking engagements that I do is is by 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 being somewhat well known in the outdoor world as far as writers and stuff, and and uh, been around for a long time and and know a lot of people in the industry. Um, and I don't say that arrogantly; it's just a it's just a fact because I've been around for a long time. Is yeah. that? Um, you find that that when given an opportunity to speak, people will come because they're curious about an outdoor writer or an outdoor podcast or, or you know somebody who's been on television and 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 stuff before and and so getting them there is usually the hardest part. Tyler is is really the is really the the thing. Like if I'm at a a wild game dinner or speaking at a men's thing at a church or 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 something of, of that nature, um, but but to your question is I find that most people who are active in the outdoors have some feeling towards a, a, a being greater than them. They, uh, they, they recognize that there is a God. I think most people that I've come in contact with that, that, that spend time, any, reasonable amount of time in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, trapping, taking pictures, whatever it is, realize that, 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 that all this didn't happen by happenstance. You know, right. it, it wasn't a fish crawling out of the ocean and boom, here we are. It was, right. it was a well-designed thought out, um, plan that, 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 that a creator had, whether they call him God, whether they call him the creator, the man upstairs, you know, what, whatever they refer to him as, I, th- I find that most people recognize that there is a God. So that gives me a starting point. I'm not starting with someone who's like an atheist and wants to argue about the, about the existence of God, because you're not going to win that anyway in that, in that arena. 
whether yeah, it's a that's podcast. A, that's a whole other process. That's yeah. a whole other thing. <laughs> right. So, so, you know, in my writing and in my, um, well, the writing's harder because editors control what, what gets out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in my books, I can go, I can do what I want to do. Uh, writing a book is like podcasting. There's no FAA rules. There's no, you know, you, as long yeah. as you're, you can, you control the content. And so that, that makes it a little bit easier. And so what I like to do is be very open about my faith. Um, but, but, but very welcoming as well. I just, um, in the, I got a book coming out next month and which we'll talk about in a minute. And, and the very last chapter that I put in there is about my faith in God and about, uh, why I believe what I believe, why I believe that God is the creator of all. And that, and that at the end of the day is it's, we're all made the same. I'm yep. not any more special than you are. You're not any more special than the guy down the street or the gal down the street that when God breathed breath into our lungs, he did it with the same care and compassion that he did it to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that at the end of the day, my job is to love as he loves. Yeah, now, definitely. now that's hard. Yeah. You know, cause I'm not as good as God is obviously, but <laughs> yeah. my job is to love as he loves. And so what I try to do when I can get people in a, in an environment, um, in outdoors to try to, you know, break down that barrier. Um, I find being very subtle works for me. Like I never tell people when I go to hunt camp, I never tell them that, that I'm a pastor. Never. Yeah. Cause then they put their Sunday school face on. Right. And then they start talking in Sunday school language and, and you hear King James language come out at people. Where in the world, when did you use thou last time? <laughs> you I mean, start talking on. like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I never tell them. I, I, I never, I want people to be real and, and, and I'm real with them, you know? And, and so, um, I mean, I don't use profanity around them and I don't, I don't use off color jokes. I don't, I, I don't, talk bad about my wife, but I let people be who they are. And yeah. when the opportunity presents itself, then I just kind of, I kind of backdoor it. And then usually by coming in and back to being a Southern person, you understand backdoors, right? <laughs> right. And it right. usually has yeah. a screen on it. Right. And so, uh, if you can get through the screen door, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. that's my, that's my analogy for people out West or who, whoever's <clears throat> listening to this, uh, the back door in the South has to have a screen on it. Cause we got bugs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and if you can get through the screen door, then, then you're welcomed into somebody's home. Um, and so getting through the screen doors is, is kind of the analogy I use in my brain is, is I just want to, I'm going to tap on the screen door first. And if they, and if I can get in it, then, uh, and then I'll just kind of go wherever they are. You know, um, yeah, uh, and so that's kind of how I do it. If that helps at all, oh yeah, it definitely does. And you know, the whole idea of being real—excuse <clears throat> me—that's something that you see Jesus Himself do. Like, I mean, He was He was eating with you know tax collectors and and sinners. I mean, that that's literally what He did. He you know with the Samaritan woman, you know, He was very real. Like He was there, and He displays His humanity so many times throughout the the Bible that. Like it's, you have this opportunity to be able to see them as a person. And whenever you right. understand them as a person, that's when you can really understand them as God. And that's, that's really, you know, it's, it's incredible to, to kind of see that you were mentioning that, that little bit of a, 
the Sunday school face that people will kind of put on whenever, whenever you start talking about the Bible. Mm-hmm. But in reality, like it's, it's a, it's a book that God has given us. It's, it's a, his word that he has literally put into paper form so that we can continue to use it. You know, it's all God breathed and all God inspired. And it's something that we can continue Absolutely. to use to, to, you know, of course, minister to, to other people and to show them the truth about who God is and the truth about who Jesus is as, as That's the Messiah. Right. That's right. And, and it's a living word. It's yeah. not, it's not a, it's, it's not a finite word. It's a living word. You find that, something new every time you read it. <laughs> it it's amazing. It's <laughs> absolutely amazing that I'm just the other day. Uh, I was, I was reading something. Oh, where was it? Golly, I got to get it. Uh, you'd think I'd be better at quoting scripture than I am. <laughs> time of the spin in it. There's but, a lot in it. So <laughs> uh, there, 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 there really is. I'm Philippians. It was in Philippians mm-hmm. three or four. Um, but it said, let your gentleness be full. And I thought, I'd never noticed that before. Yeah. Let your gentleness be full. And I thought, wow. I mean, how many times, can we, you know, because I'm jumping to the verse in my brain, to Philippians 4.13 of, you know, uh, I can do all things yeah. through Christ's strength. So I'm jumping to there instead of reading the ones before it. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting on that. And, and, and in there, I saw, let your gentleness be full. And I thought, wow. I mean, how many times have I read Philippians? I just saw that. Yeah. And, and to me, that just exemplifies how alive the word is. And so I've been holding on to that and saying to myself, be gentle today, be gentle today, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's been, a, it's just, it's just amazing how the word never gets dull. That's very true. Very true. So kind of switch gears on you here. So of course, podcasting is something that you do as well so it is. what exactly is the is the christian outdoors podcast kind of give us a rundown let's let's get well, into the details that. of that yeah thank yeah. you for that um, um as a member of the poma professional outdoor uh, media association i attended mm-hmm. a seminar a couple years ago that uh michelle Sh- i always mispronounce her name schuberman was doing on podcasting i'd heard about it didn't know anything about it but it really intrigued me as a way to get a different message out when you're writing about hunting and fishing, you know, you're writing about the rut and catching bass over and over again. Right. And, yeah. and I have this, this itch to continue to try to spread God's word. Well, about that same time, maybe a year or two before being a, a, a minister, I like to read theology, which for some people just roll their eyes at that. Um, <laughs> I know, I know I'm one of those weird guys that likes to read theology, but, um, and I attended a Presbyterian seminary, Erskine, uh, Erskine Seminary, uh, ARP, Associate Reformed Presbyterian. And so th- the Presbyterians have catechisms, right? And, uh, and so I was reading the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And in that, for those who don't know what a catechism is, it's just a teaching tool to teach people about who God is and how God interacts with people. But they use a question and answer format. They ask mm-hmm. a question and the student memorizes the answer. That's all it is. It's just a teaching tool. The question one is, what is the, uh, what is the purpose of mankind? No, what is the chief end of mankind? I had to put it in their language. That's question one. What is the chief end of mankind? Which is really, what's the meaning of life? Why are you here? And the answer is the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And Mm -hmm. Tyler, when I read that, I just jumped to the question too. And and then it, it, it hit me and to enjoy him forever. And man, that just really resonated with me. And it, it, it was convicting 
you know, those, those, those saying the preacher stepping on your toes. Yeah. Um, it was convicting of, to me of, and enjoy him forever. And I thought, what well, obviously that means in glory when we're in heaven, but doesn't it mean now forever means now yeah. and later. And so I started just questioning myself, do I enjoy God? And so I came up with this, that, you know, as a writer, I started writing all this stuff down and hopefully in 2021, the book of this will come out. Um, I'm, I'm finalizing the last chapters and it's going to my editor in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, so I, I, I said to myself, well, I recognize God. I believe in God. I love God. I worship God. I pray to God. I praise God. I tolerate God. Let's be honest. I endure God from time to time. But do I enjoy God? And I had to be honest with myself and say, you know, I don't know that I do enjoy him. Not on the way that I'm that I think this means. Mm -hmm. And so I began a quest to strive to enjoy God today. When I wake up in the morning and I have my cup of coffee and I'm having my quiet time, it starts with, God, I want to enjoy you today. Help me to enjoy you, not just recognize you, not just experience you, but to enjoy you in everything. And Tyler, I got to tell you, it has changed my marriage. It has changed me as a father. It has changed me as a, as a follower of Christ. It's changed me. My friends have seen something. My my, my oldest son, who's moving back from California now, said, Dad, there's just something different. And I'm like, well, you know, I I know I put on some weight, but you can be a little more specific, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, uh, and so Christian Outdoors podcast was uh, a way to, for me to merge two great passions, my passion for the outdoors and my passion for Jesus. Yeah. And so my driving force or my little... I don't like the word tagline, but it's more of a mission is Christian outdoors podcast is where we discuss all things outdoors and how we can enjoy God every day. Yeah. And so my goal Tyler is to, you know, I bring in guests and I, and we talk about hunting and fishing stuff and we talk about things outdoors, but then we also talk about how do you enjoy God? Tell me mm -hmm. things that you do to enjoy God. And, and you know, you're a podcaster. Some guests aren't as open as others and, you, right. and, and that's okay. That is okay. If somebody's just not as, um, comfortable sharing their faith as, as much as others are, that's quite all right. We still want to talk about hunting and fishing and camping and, and bicycling and, um, well, I really stretched it with the bicyclers there, but, uh, <laughs> you know, backpacking, anything that was a joke bicyclist. Uh, <laughs> but I want to talk about everything outdoors. I'm more plugged into the hunting and fishing world. Cause that's where I've been for the last 20 something years. But, uh, I've had nature photographers on there and I've had, mm -hmm. um, um, uh, golly comedians on there. Um, people who they call themselves the, uh, hunting and fishing comedian. I, I had him on there, uh, Darren, whose last name just left me. But anyway, so the main goal is to merge those two passions together. It's what Christian Outdoors is. And we're, we're available on, on all the podcast platforms, everyone that's available, um, then, then we're on those as well. So uh, we started last October. I do one a week. It comes out every Sunday at noon. Um, so when you're getting out of church, you can, you can turn us on. On the way home. There we go. There you go. So that's what it is. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a lot of the reason why I wanted to have you on because 
you know, the, the rise kill eat podcast and then the Christian outdoors podcast, those are, I mean, I feel like we're, we're got very similar audiences, got very similar missions. Cause that's exactly Absolutely. what the rise kill eat podcast is too. It's just an opportunity for, for guys who love to hunt and fish and to get outdoors to come on and talk about our faith. And that's, that's yep. exactly what it is. And I think, you know, those two worlds, it's so easy for them to be meshed together because of all the reasons that we've you know talked about for the past hour. It's because we can see God, the creator in his creation. And it's just, it's something that, you know, guys like you and me and all the guests that we've had on our shows, like it's something that we can all resonate with. And I think that's right. a, just a testament to, you know, the, the kind of activity that, that, that we really enjoy in the way that we, you know, enjoy God to, to kind of Absolutely. steal your little line there. So absolutely well you're, you're you're not stealing it from me man it's from the westminster catechism man. So <laughs> we just want to enjoy god i want people to enjoy god and 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 i have just seen that that uh uh it really is life-changing if you're intentional about that about um god how can i enjoy you and and i'll be honest here back to the vulnerability i don't mm-hmm. succeed in that every day i there's some days i get so overwhelmed with with uh you know, working three jobs, you know, cause I work for the USDA is my real job. And then I'm also a, a, a full-time writer and a part-time podcaster. And so it's, it's, a uh, it's a lot and a dad of five children and a, and a husband. And, and so it's, a there's a lot going on, but, uh, and sometimes I'm like everybody else. God gets pushed to the margins as we said in seminary, and instead yeah. of being in the body of the sin of the page, he's in the margins. And, and I just try very intentionally to move him to the center of the page and move me to the margin and and things go a lot better when i do mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely more of him and less of us and that's, yes that's that's a much easier said than done because i mean yes. we're just we have a you know a self-centered mentality but i mean that's just that's the way that we're wired unfortunately but it's just the just shows us how much we need god and you know how much we need him on a daily basis in order to make sure that that balance we're real is not a balance that that makes sure that that ratio stays the way it's supposed to be <laughs> yes Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it is. well so. I, pe- I appreciate you being on the, the Rise Kelly podcast with me, Pete. I want to encourage everybody listening to the Rise Kelly podcast to go check out Christian Outdoors podcast. Be on the lookout for Pete's book coming out next year. And I'm sure you'll give us some updates as far as that goes. And we'll make sure that we share that kind of stuff as the as the book advances. I, I appreciate you being on. Well, thank you. Thank you. But before I go, if you don't mind, um, I, I just released an ebook that's yeah. available on all ebook platforms. It's called awesome. Planning Planning an Out of State Hunt: Twenty Steps to Success. I know a lot of people are traveling to different states to hunt, and some of the questions that I had when I started doing that was, "What do I do first? What do I do next?" So, I put together a little ebook for people. Going back to what I said, trying to make it easy for them. If yeah. you want to hunt out of state, it's a lot easier than you ever thought it was. And it's a lot more affordable if you do it the right way. And I go into all that kind of stuff. And so awesome. that, that came out last week and I have a, a print book coming out in October that's called the hunting club Bible, everything okay. you need to know to run a successful hunting club. And so that'll be coming out in October in, in print form and the ebook will come a month after that. And so that'll be available on all the, you know, on Amazon and everywhere else. Um, okay. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the release of that. So this is the first time I've announced it. So, oh um, man, that's awesome. Yeah. The hunting club Bible uh, is, it's, it's a manual. It's not like a, an enjoyable read. It's a manual. So if you want to know how to start a hunting club or to run a hunting club better, 
then I go into the, into the legal things. I go into how to write bylaws, how to find members, how to discipline members, how to set fees, how to find land and acquire land. I go to all those steps and how to do that. And so just trying to make it easy for someone who wants to start a club or to make one better then then I have that coming out in October as well. Well, I'll definitely include those links. I'll include the, the website at christianoutdoors.org. I'll include that down mm-hmm. into the show notes of this, this episode. You. And Pete, where can, where can folks, where, they, where can they connect with you on social media? Well, social media is Christian Outdoors Podcast on Instagram and also on Facebook. Uh, it's, it's, it's that, but also on Facebook, I have uh, Pete, Pete Rogers Outdoor Writer is on there too. Uh, so I have I have both of those, and Instagram is Christian Outdoors Podcast. Um, so we're on we're on those two platforms. But I don't use Twitter or anything else; just those two. So I also have a YouTube channel under Pete Rogers Outdoors. All right, all right. I'll make sure I have all that kind of information on there. So anybody listening to this who wants to connect with Pete and check out his podcast, you guys can access that down into the details of this show. So thank you again, Pete. I appreciate you being on the Rice Elite Podcast with me. Thank you so much, Tyler. I really enjoyed it. So there you have it, guys. Right there is my conversation with Pete Rogers of the Christian Outdoors Podcast. Again, I want to encourage you guys to go check out his show, the Christian Outdoors Podcast. Go check out some of his writings and all the the content that he's been putting out. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, If you guys enjoyed this episode of the Rise Kelly Podcast, go ahead and leave a rating and review on the platform that you're listening on. So these ratings and reviews, they go a long way with being able to organically grow the Rise Kelly podcast. So any positive rating and review that you guys feel compelled to, to give the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Now, I also wanted to remind you guys that the Rise Kelly podcast is listener supported. So if you want to help support the Rise Kelly podcast as we continue to grow in our efforts to be able to provide solid content for all of our listeners and all of our followers out there, then head down to the details of the show and see how you can support the Rise Elite podcast today. All right, guys, so I appreciate you all listening today. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the future episodes of the Rise Elite podcast. I'll catch you guys next week.